We have been on a series for several weeks on prayer. Pastor Cam has been leading us through that, and we saw in Genesis 4, prayer is crying out to the Lord to fulfill His promises. And then we heard from Moses where God's promises move forward through prayer. From Hannah, we learn to pray in our pain. In Elijah, we prayer and our idols was our topic that we looked at. And through Daniel, we learned to confess, prayer in confession. And then last week, we heard prayer in the gospel. Pray in my name, and it will be given to you. Well, this week, we are in another area of prayer, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, uh, 24 to 32. And we're going to look at the power of corporate prayer. And we'll see in this text that we look at, we'll see that they prayed united in Christ. We will see that they prayed in the name of the Lord. And we will see that they prayed His Word and they prayed His promises. And that's kind of the, 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 the points that we want to draw from the text that we're going to look at. Before we go there, I want to kind of put this in context, this Acts 4 prayer. Peter and John have gone to the temple, um, to the gate beautiful. It's in the ninth hour. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They've gone to pray, and there's a, a lame man who's begging for alms. They, somebody carries him and puts him there. And and the famous phrase that they use is silver and gold we do not have, but this we give to you, rise up and walk. And they heal this, uh, the lamed man. And of course, he's excited. He's walking for the first time in his life. He is moving around and there's a hustle and bustle, all of the people. And of course, Peter and John take great advantage and they begin to proclaim Christ. They talk about Jesus as the power it is, this, it is Jesus' name that this man has been raised from the dead, the one who was crucified, who raised from the dead, and they are, they are, they are preaching a jag. I mean, they're, they're really going. But then the Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests and the elders, eh, there's something wrong here, and we've got to stop that. They arrest Peter and John, put them in jail, and then they take them before their contingent, their group, and they threaten them, and they threaten them not to, not to teach in this name again. Don't use the name of Jesus anymore. And they threaten them and threaten them severely, but then they were afraid to do anything else because the man that was healed was standing right in front of them. And that kind of brings us to our text today. And it's found in chapter 4, verse, we're going to pick up in 23. If you are in a pew Bible, it's on page 912. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against the holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the prophets of Israel, to do whatever your hand had planned, had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. One of the first things that I want us to see is the response of Peter and John when they were threatened. One of the first things they did, it says in, in the ESV, is that he went to their friends. Now, the word there for friends is idios. It means their own. Some of your translations are going to say that they went to their own people. And so the first thing they did is they go to those, they go to their, the other apostles, the, the other folks that are in the church with them, and there's a group of them, and there's a gathering of them. And they began to tell them all that had taken place. Now, we remember that we're in, in context, the, the day of Pentecost has occurred. 5,000 have come to know the Lord. Uh, so there's a large contingent, but this would be a smaller group of that. And they're there talking about what has taken place. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that all these talking about the apostles, it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were united in Jesus. And that's one of the important aspects of, of this prayer. A, a group of people praying united. They were of one accord. It doesn't mean Universal. Not necessarily. What it means is that they were united as one in Christ as they come together. And that's what we see happening in this, in this gathering where Peter and John come and they tell them all about these events. I was thinking about this this week. And imagine that uh, uh, Pastor Cam and Pastor Rodrigo were up here in town and they were preaching. And uh, they're there at the Springs Park. And if they were preaching... And the council didn't like that, and they sent the police to arrest them, and they put them in jail, and then they bring them before the city council the next day, and then they threaten them on not proclaiming Jesus anymore. Do not do that. You're going to be in trouble. There's going to be consequences if you do this. Where do you think they would go when they were released? They would come here, and they would get together a group, and they would be telling us, all that took place, all that they said, that's what's happening with Peter and John. 
They've gone back to their own people, and they're explaining what took place. Imagine how excited they must have been. Hey, guys, we, we got to tell them about Jesus. We got to tell them, you crucified him, but, but it is in him that this man was healed. The problem is they won't hear it. And they said, stop it and don't do it again. And so he's, they're explaining all of these things to their own people as they talk about what's going on. They've been with Jesus throughout his whole ministry. And the pattern that Jesus has created of praying is their strength. And they've learned. He's, Jesus has modeled it for them. It is their initial response is to go back, tell them what's going on, and let's pray. And that is where we pick up. They're praying united in Christ. Now we will see them pray in the name of the Lord. And we heard that with Pastor Cam last week in the text that he was in. In verse 24, it says, and when it says, uh, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so we see their initial response is to call out to the name of our God. We saw that in Genesis, in the very beginning of the, of, of the series, where God's people called upon the name of the Lord. This is what's happening here. They're calling upon his name. It's an interesting, the word for Lord here is despot. It, it, it means, it, it was the same word that's used for a slave referring to their master. Sovereign master, as, he, as they cry out to him in prayer, recognizing they, they know who they are in relation to who he is as they lift up their prayer. And they lift up their voices together, it says. I began to try to visualize what did that look like in this context. Interestingly, one commentator said, well, for sure, it was a whole bunch of them speaking at one time uh, and some type of rote expression of prayer, and they're all praying at the same time. I read a second commentator and said, well, certainly it's not them praying all at one time. Well, when we begin to really look at the language and really look at what is taking place, the word here for voices is phone. It is a feminine feminine singular, which helps us see it's more likely one voice. One voice with multiple people praying together, which is why we see voices in the, in the text. Our elder, Mark Peterson, prayed a moment ago, and as he prayed, that, that is a picture of what was happening here. As he prayed, we were all praying And we were all praying, united in Christ. 
And we do that week after week after week in our worship service because it brings glory to the Lord. And it helps you and I grow in our strength. It helps you and I grow in our faith. It's important that when you see someone stand here and pray, it's just not them praying. You are also praying with them, and you should join in because it brings glory to Him. There is power when we are together, united, calling upon His name. There there is a, a, a dynamic spiritual power that grows and it's his strengthened in you and I as we lift up our voice to him. When we, when we hear someone else pray, it, it's an encouragement and, and it strengthens us and it causes us to think of other things. And those things, because we're united in Christ, will continue to manifest the things that we're striving for. And we'll see that here in this text. Because in this next area, we see that they prayed united in Christ. We see that they're praying in the name of the Lord, but they're also praying His Word. Because this next text is actually Psalm 2. In verse 25, it says, Who through the mouth of their father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. I could imagine as, they, as Peter and John were coming back and, and they're telling their small group all about these events of the day and, and the conversation is going back and forth before they pray. Wouldn't we imagine that somebody in the group says, I remember we used to sing this song. We used to sing that song right there about David and how this would all take place. That, that there's going to be, everyone's going to be against the anointed. Everyone's going to go be against Jesus. And together, that's where the power comes because somebody remembered Psalm 2. They remembered this, that that. David talked about this hundreds of years ago. And it inspires their prayer. It inspires them to include it in their prayer. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Can you imagine somebody singing that, memorizing it, knowing it? to the point where it comes up in their thought life when they begin to pray. These kind of thoughts are what's building in this people as they begin to call out their voices to the Lord. They're engaged. They're united. They know who the power is, the one who created the heavens and the earth by speaking a voice. And then they turn 
And in verse 27 and 28, they begin to pray his promises. Think of what he says here. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They remembered. They remembered the promises. And they acknowledged this was a predetermined, preordained promise that would take place. And they're considering these things as they develop the prayer. And they call out this promise. Surely they would have remembered what Isaiah said in 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, Isaiah wrote. Jesus himself had taught that if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. All of these things, all of his promises, all of his planning, all of these things have been taught to them. And they are putting them together as they think about a response to the threats that's coming against them. They understood the promises of what is and what is to come. It is the promises that are guiding their thinking, and it is guiding a unified prayer. The prayer was not about them. It never was, and it never is. The prayer is about what the Lord desires, what the Lord plans, and what the Lord promises. This is the driving force that they realize. Don't we find it pretty incredible that they don't pray that the Sanhedrin be stopped? Don't we find it pretty incredible that they don't ask the Lord to strike them down and, 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 and get rid of them so that we can go share more? No, that is not what they're asking for. And it is a mindset that they have grown, that Jesus has shown them, that Jesus has taught them. They listened to Peter and John when they came back, and they identified what the problem was. And when you think about the context that we looked at, and we, and, and we look at what the Sanhedrin has threatened them with, and so the problem is not the Sanhedrin. The problem they see is the word's not going out. They're trying to stop it from going out. That's where their energy is. That's where their focus is. Not on the Sanhedrin and not on those who persecuted. They weren't concerned with them because Jesus has said that was going to happen. The prophets had said this was going to happen. The plan of God has described this is going to happen. So we begin to see how intricate God's plan, God's word, and God's teachings and his promises 
are engulfing this group of people as they begin to pray. But they certainly have identified the problem is the word needs to go out. That's, that's the problem, and that's the goal. The word needs to go out. All of these other things God has said would happen. So may it be. God has planned it. He had promised it. He prophesied it. It's going to happen. In verse 29, it says, and now. It's an interesting opening to that next section. And now. So we've gone from what was to current in this text. He says, And now, Lord, look upon your, their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Wow. They did identify the problem, and then they began to pray for the solution. The solution is give us boldness. Give us courage. Give us strength to go, to go out to, to talk about Christ. When we think about boldness, uh, Pastor Cam spoke about this last week a little bit. The word is speaking freely, not restricted. It's not aggressive or harsh. It's speaking freely without fear to go regardless of the cost, to go regardless of the consequence, to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done and the salvation has come and that nothing would inhibit that conversation. That's what they're praying for. Now, what, what do you think their boldness is going to bring them? It's going to bring them more resistance. It's going to bring them more persecution. But it's okay because the Lord said it would be. It's okay because Jesus said, if they hate me, they'll hate you. <laughs> and because they hated me first, they're going to hate you anyway. So he's, he's all covered. It is realizing that, church. It is us understanding that that helps us. It helps us to grapple with our call. It helps us to grapple with our boldness, our speaking freely at any cost. That is a great sense of this prayer. And now, as I said before, not to strike the leaders as many would expect. No, would you continue to give us boldness? This is the lens with which they were seeing and the pattern for which they were making their prayer. The lens of the word must go out. The lens of loving the Lord. The lens of understanding what he has uh, ordained. The lens of understanding what the plan is. The lens of understanding his promises. Those are the things that were creating this, this lens of which they prayed. It's, 
it is interesting that their, their prayer is pretty responsive. It's responsive to the circumstance. And as I've said a couple of times, the, the circumstance is the hindrance of the word, and they're responding to that, not to the people or not to the problem. And when they prayed, it says, well, verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your body, of your, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, they're acknowledging that the wonders that Peter and John have done, the healing of this lame person, the lame man, they're acknowledging those, while those continue to go, give us boldness. In verse 31, he says that, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. It's interesting, um, earthquakes were pretty common in Acts. We saw, we've seen a, a couple of times in Acts where an earthquake would shake open a prison door, and here the Spirit of God comes and shakes this place where they're gathered. One of the things that I wrestled with when we think about the, their praying and we think about our praying, because I just compared Elder Mark praying here and us all praying together, but what I noticed is our building didn't shake when you finished, brother. Hmm. So what's the problem? <laughs> the building didn't shake when we finished our prayer, but it did shake when they finished their prayer. I think we have to remember when, and much of the book of Acts is about the church being birthed. She, she's in her infancy, and, and the Lord did a lot of extraordinary things in order to strengthen and grow the church. And this is, a, this is one of those simple things of shaking the building to give them affirmation of what they had asked for. It's pretty incredible, as a matter of fact. But I would, I would articulate for you and I that we don't need our building to shake because we have been given much more revelation We've been given much more uh, presence of the Lord. And the church is in her adulthood. She's strong and she knows. We know that the Lord's present. We know that the Holy Spirit's working. And it's a powerful thing. You, we've all experienced it, right? When a certain song we sing plays and, and you feel inside the movement uh, that you have. We know what that's like. When someone does something, says something in, in a service and it touches us, we know that the Lord's doing. We know that he's moving. It said that, it, that then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but, but they were already filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Now, no tongues of fire this time, but Peter and John and all the others Remember, they, at Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit with fire and tongues of fire. So they had already received the Holy Spirit, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? 
Well, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in you, but you also get filled with the Holy Spirit, and so do I, and, and so those who walk in Christ. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we need to sort of think of it in terms of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not like pouring a glass of water and filling a water glass up. The Holy Spirit is, is a spiritual thing. In reality, being filled with the Holy Spirit simply means being obedient to the Spirit. is responding to the Spirit when, when it speaks and when it works. To be sure, the Lord fills us with His Spirit. And that's what it says in Romans 5, to be sure. But there are also times when we're living out life, there's times when we're praying, there's times when we are singing, there's times when we are worshiping when the Spirit fills us and we know it and we touch it, we can sense it, and this is what's occurring here. There is much encouragement when we look at the model of this corporate prayer, and we gather every week, and we have a sense of that. We also gather on on Sunday evenings tonight, as a matter of fact, we have a prayer meeting. And so it starts at 5.30, and right after a brief family meeting, we're going to enter into a prayer meeting. And that prayer meeting is important, church. Without being overly critical, I will just say about 250 of us come to a fish fry. We don't get 250 at a prayer meeting. And a prayer meeting is important. A prayer meeting is important because we grow and we are strengthened and the church becomes more healthy as we think those things through. The You know, we, you all have a family to turn to, like Peter and John, right? When Peter and John were threatened, what'd they do? They went to their family. You know, each of you LBC members have a family to turn to. If there's trouble, you turn to your family, and then the family can then sit up and pray. And then we can work out whatever's going on. That's what the value of a prayer meeting can be about. It also helps us understand the importance of church membership. We've had several over the years that, that are, are here a part of us, but they, the, a few who come our way didn't really see a, 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 a imperative nor importance to church membership. I think this is a really good place to take a look at the value of it. Because church membership makes you part of a family. When we come together and you have the difficulty, there's a family to turn to. There's a family to encircle you. There's a family to pray for you and to lift you up. It becomes a valuable part of the life of every believer to become part of the family. In Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to, good, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together 
as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church family, coming together at a prayer meeting, hearing each other is a powerful thing. When we gather tonight, and I just encourage you to come, just come one time. And, and, and everybody who comes that first time, they say, oh my gosh, this is so great. I wish I'd come all the time. Because when we're gathered around tables and we begin to pray and you hear the, 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 the hum of the voices praying, there is nothing like it, men and women. There is nothing like it. To hear God's people praying and praying and we do that in cycles, and it is something to be a part of. And I just want to encourage you to come because we're going to pray united in Christ. We're going to pray in the name of the Lord. We're going to pray His Word, and we're going to pray His promises. In Jeffrey Chang's book, Spurgeon the Pastor, Charles Spurgeon speaks of their weekly Monday night prayer meeting as an essential to the life and health of the church. He writes, uh, Spurgeon writes, the prayer meeting is not a farce, not a waste of time, no mere pious amusement. Some in these times think so, but such shall be lightly esteemed. Surely they know not the omnipotence that lies in the pleas of God's people. The Lord has taken the keys of his royal treasury and put them into the hand of faith. He has taken his sword from the scabbard and given it into the hand of the man mighty in prayer. He seems at times to have placed his sovereign scepter in the hand of the prayer. To strengthen a prayer meeting is a good work as to preach a sermon. It's as good a work as to preach a sermon, he declares. I would have you vow that the prayer meeting shall never be given up while you live. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. There's a powerful sense that the Spirit's presence occurs when you hear the hum of those voices at a prayer meeting. It builds healthy church. It builds healthy church members. And I want to encourage us to come and be a part of that family praying together. Let's pray.